Welcome to Words of Grace, radio ministry of Elder Ben Winslet, pastor of the Flint River Primitive Baptist Church near Huntsville, Alabama. We invite you to stay tuned to today's broadcast. Today on Words of Grace, we're going to play for you a message that I delivered a week ago at Flint River Primitive Baptist Church entitled The Savor of Christ from 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. Just to introduce today's broadcast, if someone were to walk up to you and tell you that you smell a certain way, what would be your reaction? Paul actually uses this concept of our odor or our savor to describe two reactions that we can expect to gospel preaching as he wrote his second epistle to the church at Corinth. At the heart of the issue that we consider on today's broadcast is the spiritual condition of a person who receives the gospel. Here is this morning's message, The Savor of Christ. Our passage today is one that we have considered together many times regarding the way that you and I, as we bear witness, as we are witnesses for Christ, the way that we are received by the world around us, specifically two reactions that we can expect to receive based upon not the way we present what we share as we bear witness, but the spiritual condition of those who receive the preaching of the gospel. The spiritual condition of those who receive the preaching of the gospel, their condition will greatly frame their reception of the message that we preach. Now, a little bit of a disclaimer up front. If I go to a person that the Holy Spirit is working on, they're not dead in sin, the Holy Spirit is burdening them. If I am rude and offensive with my presentation, that's on me if a conversion does not occur. But if I take the Word of God in all sincerity, and I am a witness of Christ, and the Holy Spirit is enabling me to share the Word of God, I can expect one of two reactions based upon, generally speaking, the spiritual condition of the person to whom I am speaking. Okay. Now, this answers many questions that you might have about the world around you. If you're a newer person to the Scriptures, if you're a newer person to the Word of God, to the doctrines of grace, to some of these realities that we talk about from the Word of God, this answers this question that you might have about the world around you, why some people eagerly receive the preaching of the gospel of Christ, and other people simultaneously are so offended by that message that they would be willing to resort to violence against you for simply preaching it. Now, we have that happen all through the Word of God. It happens in the book of Acts. These men of God stand and they publicly proclaim the Word of God. And as they do, some people say, we believe that Jesus is the Christ. What hinders us to be baptized? We want to walk with you and to be a part of this way. What do I need to do? And you have other people who say things like, these people are full of new wine. They're drunk. These are a bunch of imbeciles. Or we perceive that these are unlearned and ignorant men. Or maybe they say, you are not allowed to share this message publicly because it is offensive to us. Why 
Do some people get so angry at the preaching of Paul that they scream for two hours, great as Diana of the Ephesians, and try to drag the Christians into a coliseum where they would be mauled to death by wild animals? You preach publicly, you simply proclaim the facts of the finished work of Jesus Christ, His death, His burial, His resurrection, His identity. You share that. Some people rejoice in it. They are compelled from the heart to that message that you preach. And other people are so offended that they would have you executed for what you have said. What we read today is going to answer that question. So let's read verses 14 through 17 of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savior, savor rather, of His knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. We are a savor, a smell of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God speak we in Christ. Our savor, our smell. If you paid attention to the reading, you notice that Paul says that we have an odor, a smell as it were, a savor. And this is a metaphor for the way people receive the word. We have the same man at the same time sharing the same message to one type of person, one odor, and to another type of person, another odor. You smell to one person in a good way, and to another type of person, you have a very disgusting odor. You either smell like life or you smell like death, depending on the person to whom you're sharing the word with as you witness for Christ publicly. Beginning with verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of His knowledge by us in every place. Now the first thing that Paul says, the first thing that Paul says in this passage, if you have read the life story of Paul, might make you, for good reason, stop and ask the question, How in the world, Paul, are you always triumphing in Christ? Now, thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. If you read the life story of the Apostle Paul, does it always look like Paul is triumphing? What does it mean to triumph? You know, you you hear the word triumph. And that's a very interesting word. It's not a word that we use every day. If someone is triumphing, they have outright and complete victory over the situation, the battle that they're fighting. Our, our forces have triumphed over many enemies in the history of our country, and that's why we yet remain as a nation. We often hear that good triumphs over evil, where the good eventually and ultimately wins over the evil. To triumph is a strong word, and Paul says here that God always causes us 
to triumph over whatever it is that is the opposition, the negative that he's alluding to. Now, when you read the life of the Apostle Paul, did it look like he was triumphing when he had converted to Christianity and people of his own nation were waiting for him at the gate to leave this gated city so they could pounce on him and kill him, and they lowered him out of a window in a basket by a rope, and he escaped, and he departed and escaped their persecution. Did that look like triumphing? It looked like barely surviving. It looked like escape. Understand, I think militarily, you would concede that there's a great difference in a triumph and a retreat. What Paul does there looks like retreat. You run and escape. You go out another way. We always triumph, Paul says. We always triumph. Did that look like triumph? No. When he was whipped with 40 stripes, save one, 39 stripes, did that look like triumph? When the high priest had him punched in the face, did it look like he was triumphing? There was one point in Paul's life where he was stoned and left for dead. How about when he was shipwrecked on multiple occasions and he floats to shore on driftwood? Paul was triumphing in that. How about when he was sitting in a dungeon, cramped and alone? The dungeons, so many times, the prisons, the jails that he was made to stay in were so small that he couldn't stand up all the way. There were times that he was in house arrest, and that was a little easier to live with, but there were times that he was shackled, he was fastened in stocks, he was suffering, he couldn't move. Some of us, when we wake up after laying still for seven or eight hours, we can hardly move. Imagine if you're bound in chains and made to sleep on the hard ground or you're placed in stocks. Paul suffered often in his life, and the man says this, Thanks be to God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. I think what he means by that, he faces adversity, but in all of that, he triumphs. Because in every opposition that he had experienced for the gospel of Christ, up until that moment, what had happened? He's given his freedom. He experiences momentary suffering, but he goes about... And as he goes about, as he's released, as they let him go, where the Spirit leads him out of it, as God shakes a jail and the chains fall off and he ends up converting the jailer and baptizing him, in all of the things that Paul experiences, God gives him victory over it and he goes about to preach the gospel another day. That's triumphing. You say, it looks like suffering. It is suffering. As, as we are witnesses of the savor of Christ, this word making manifest reminded me of the fact that we are witnesses of Christ. The word witness actually comes from a Greek word from which we get the English word martyr. So to be a witness many times for them was to be a martyr. What is a martyr? Someone who dies for their cause. They're witnesses. They're martyrs. They go about bearing witness amidst suffering and affliction. And despite the fact that they're beaten that they're left for dead, that they're imprisoned, they're always triumphing. Paul's imprisoned, he baptizes the jailer. Paul is in Rome and he says, those of Caesar's household greet you. More than likely he had converted some people that were related to Caesar. Over and over in his life, despite the opposition, 
He's converting people through the preaching of the gospel. And to him, guess what his life is? That's triumphing. That's victory. I'm going and preaching and people are hearing, people are turning, people are believing, people are following Christ. That is victory. He could not care less about the afflictions of this world because people are following Christ. And he, can, he counts that a victory. He counts that triumphing. Now, eventually, Paul would face martyrdom. He would be beheaded for his faith in Christ. And you know what that was in his life? You might think that's defeat. But in death, he is more than what? More than a conqueror. Through Christ, which loved him. And that's from Romans chapter 8, the very words of the Apostle Paul. In death, what the world did to him was the very worst that it can do. The most extreme thing that it can do is take your life. And when you die, even in martyrdom, you are more than a conqueror. And so Paul says we're always triumphing in every way, in every circumstance. We are triumphing in Christ as we make manifest the savor of his knowledge, the smell of his knowledge by us in every place. As we make manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place, I want to do a little bit of a clarification. How many of you have heard the phrase, the saying, preach the gospel, use words if necessary? While it's true that our lifestyle ought to bear witness that we know Jesus, so much so that when people are around you, they ought to think this man has to know this Christ. We have to use words. Jesus didn't tell his disciples, go into all nations and preach the gospel through your actions and use words if necessary. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Go teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Jesus says to go and to preach, to share the word. Now, if my lifestyle is not in alignment with the message that I preach, then I have brought Shame upon the gospel of Christ. But I am to go into the world and I am to preach the gospel with my words. And I hope that my feet would align to the best of my ability with the words that I speak. In this statement, he causes us to manifest the savor of his knowledge in every place. Paul is beginning what you can call a metaphor to describe what we do as we share the Word of God and how people receive it. Savor here is a metaphor for how you and I are received by those with whom we share the Word. Not that we literally have an aroma. This is referring to us bearing witness. Now, as I was meditating upon this passage of Scripture this week, the thought entered my mind in the Old Testament, there were people that had been anointed, and because of that anointing, they had an aroma. Think about the priesthood in the Old Testament. When Aaron is ordained to his ministry, what did they do? They took oil, they poured it on his head, it ran down his hair, and it ran down his beard. That oil had an aroma. When Aaron were to enter the room with you, if he had been anointed, it would probably be pretty obvious to know that he was there, even if you couldn't see him, because of that aroma that was all over him in his hair and in his beard. Aaron probably had that odor on him a, 
a long time. The garment probably retained that odor. There were other things in the Old Testament that had a savor that went up even to God himself. The sacrifices, the burning of incense. Don't you know as the priests burned that incense, as they were around that holy place, the smell of that incense would be on their garment? I imagine as they go to their home at the end of the night and they walk into that room, you smell that aroma of them. You smell the burnt offerings. You smell the incense that was offered. It was kind of hard to not know that you're around one of these priests because of the odor that they have when they enter the room because of the work that they are doing at the temple, offering these animals and burning the incense. The Word of God calls you a priest. That kind of alludes to the fact that it ought to be so obvious when you're around me that I've been around Jesus that you can smell it in the air. We bear the savor of his knowledge. That word savor means the odor, the aroma of his knowledge by us in every place. One thing that you can infer from this, it's impossible for you to not have an aroma. It's impossible for you not to have a specific odor depending on who you're around. You have the singular odor, the savor, singular savor. But depending on the person that you're around... To one person, that is the odor of life, and to the other type of person, that is the odor of death. You don't have two odors. You have one savor. What is the savor? The savor of the knowledge of Christ. But depending on the person, you might have the aroma of life or you might have the aroma of death. Of all the things that I have had the experience of smelling in my life, I think the putrid smell of rot is the worst. To one type of person, we have, as we manifest the savor of Christ, this aroma of death about us. To another type of person, we have the aroma of life about us. Now, here's an interesting question that I like to meditate on. What does life smell like? What odor does life have? Things that are alive make all kinds of smells that might not be pleasant. So what then does life smell like? Whatever it is, whatever it is. I think in our hearts we can kind of by an eye of faith see what it is. What sort of pleasant thing life must smell like? The smell of life. This is the aroma of life itself. Of everything that is good and everything that is right, you bear that savor as you manifest the savor of his knowledge, the knowledge of Christ in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and them that perish. Now, you bear this savor indiscriminately, and there are two types of people who will hear this message. Now, in short, there are two types of people in the world as far as their state is concerned. There are those who are spiritually alive, and there are those who are dead in trespasses and in sins. There's not a neutral state, but it is alive or it is dead. Now, in the physical realm, that's the way that it is. Your body is either alive or your body is dead. Now, I know that the Good Samaritan found the man who was half dead, I think is what it, what it said of him, and that means that he's, he's on his way to death. He's as good as dead if no one helped him out, and the Good Samaritan helped him out. You're either dead or you're alive. And if you're dead, 
And you can't be shocked back. You're just dead. You're gone. And if you're gone long enough and the heart can't be revived, that's it. That's it. The body begins to decompose and you are gone. And yet if you're alive, well, you are alive. Your heart is beating. There's electrical impulses. Your heart is pushing oxygenated blood through your body. Your brain is processing something. Even if parts of the brain have been damaged, if your heart is pumping, it is still doing something. You are alive. You're either dead or you're alive. In a spiritual sense, listen to me, you are either dead or you are alive. There's no in-between. It's not that I'm spiritually asleep and I need to be woken up. It's not that I'm spiritually alive enough to choose to get the rest of the life and the salvation. I am either dead or I am alive. And you see that here. There are two types of people, those that are saved and them that perish. And people either fall into one of those two categories. There is no third category. And we are the smell of Christ to those people. We bear the savor of Christ. We manifest the savor of Christ, the savor of his knowledge. To all people, when we share the word of God, to them that are saved and to them that perish. By the way, that tells us that when we publicly preach, we share the word of God with those that perish too. There are some people that think, well, because we believe in the doctrines of grace, we're just going to shut the building, lock up in here, and pray to God they find us. No, we indiscriminately preach the Word of God publicly. That's what the apostles did. That's what Timothy did. It's what Silas did. It's what John Mark did. It's what all of these men in the book of Acts do. That's what we are to do. We're to share the Word of God indiscriminately. To the one, we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, we are the savor of life unto life. To them that perish, what Paul just told us is that to someone who is yet in their sins, them that perish, them that are yet natural men, someone who is dead in trespasses and in sins, when we preach the word of God to that type of person, we smell like death. Smell like death to the unregenerate. That's the worst odor that a human being, again, I believe, can smell, the smell of death. We smell like death to those who are yet unregenerate. Could you do anything to make that smell a little more appealing? It just smells like what it smells like. It takes something else that you and I cannot do to change the state of the person for this witnessing that we bear to go from the smell of death to the smell of life. It takes something that you and I cannot do. It takes what? It takes the quickening of the Holy Spirit. You and I cannot quicken people. No more than we can raise the physical dead. Don't you wish we could sometimes, perhaps? But only God through the Holy Spirit has the power to give life. And until God gives life, the message that I preach, it will not be received. The message that I preach will be the savor of death unto death to those who are unregenerate. To the dead, we bear the savor of death. This is why 1 Corinthians 2.14 very plainly says, The natural man receives not the things of the Spirit of God. Why? They are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Until the Spirit is here in the heart, the mind will reject the word. 
and I will bear the savor of death unto the dead. It is foolishness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says that the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness, but unto us which are saved, it is the power of God. And so to them that perish, what is the word? What is the preaching of the cross? It is to them that are dead in sin, starts with an F, foolish, to those which are saved, what is preaching? It is the power of God. God's power in your life. To those that are alive, we bear the savor of life unto life. Now, it's interesting that he uses death and life because one type of person is dead in sin, and you with he quickened who were dead in trespasses and in sins. We were all dead in sin before quickening. For one type of person, he uses the word death. Another, he uses the word life. The Spirit takes us from death to life, and the gospel that we preach is about death and life. The Lord Jesus died upon a cross. And on the third day, the Lord Jesus rose again to life. And so this message of death and life goes to people, unless they've been drawn from death to life, it bears the savor of death. And when you preach it, they deem you worthy of death. Or if this person is alive, it bears the savor of life. It literally smells like life itself, the aroma of life. What is Paul telling us? Well, he's telling us that you will be received based upon not how compelling the argument is that you make, not based upon what is trendy in society or culture. You will be received in your attempts to preach the gospel based upon what God has done or has not done in the heart of the person. And you, all you do is bear the odor. It is God that gives the life that enables the person to receive it, or if he has not given the life and they are yet dead in trespasses and in sins, they will reject it and you will smell to them like death. We are the savor of death unto death. We are the savor of life unto life. Now, in conclusion, if we manifest the savor publicly, savor of the knowledge of Christ publicly, and we receive one of two reactions. These reactions, which depend on whether or not God has worked on the heart, we confirm in our understanding that the person that receives it is a person that is a brother or a sister in Christ. In other words, we identify children of God when we preach the gospel publicly. If I preach the gospel publicly and five people over here say, yes, we believe it, we've never heard it, but something in my heart burns for this message you preach. Guess who I just identified? Five more brothers or sisters in Christ. If I do everything to preach it in sincerity and the people are so mad they want to slaughter me for preaching it, what might that say about their spiritual condition? They may very well just be dead in trespasses and sins. God only knows. The Lord knoweth them that are His. That's a pretty good indication that the person I'm talking to is somebody I need to back away from slowly. And then, you know what we do for the person that receives the preaching of the cross? Now, why is it that they receive it? Because they're quickened. Why are they quickened? Because the Holy Spirit has worked a work of grace on their heart. But what we do for them, listen to me, we assure them through preaching that they belong to the Lord. Now, so the question is, well, 
Am I a person that belongs to the Lord? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? You would not believe in Jesus Christ unless he had quickened you. And since he quickened you, you believe the world around you might try to get you to doubt your salvation. Harsh preachers might cause you to question your salvation. But listen to me. If you believe in Jesus, that is because you are quickened. And I want you to be fully assured of your salvation. The gospel brings life and immortality to light. We confirm it in our minds when we bear this Savior and it's received as the Savior of life. And we assure the born again that they do belong to our Lord. I hope your hearts are assured as we bear the Savior of Christ to you. I hope that you receive the message as it were life unto life because that speaks that you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. If you enjoy the messages you hear on Words of Grace, consider this your invitation to visit a Primitive Baptist Church in your community. Copies of this and other broadcasts are available for download on iTunes and on our website. Address your correspondence to Words of Grace Radio, 641 Moontown Road, Brownsboro, Alabama, 35741, or visit us online at flintriverpbc.org.